0: Good morning, everybody. Like Mandy said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you. I like how excited y'all got when we said it's Pastor Appreciation Month. I was standing in the back. I said, I wonder if they're going to lean in on this one, and you didn't disappoint. I'm honored to pastor this congregation. It is my joy, my wife and I. Uh, it's our joy to serve this community, and so I want to say a special warm welcome to those of you who might be visiting with us for the first time. I see some new faces in the house today, and as always, we want to welcome those of you who are watching us virtually online. It's so awesome to have you with us online, and you're seeing this big uh, tub in front of this auditorium today, and if this is your first Sunday here, you might wonder why do they have a big horse trough. That's what this is, a well, horse trough in the center of... The room, well, it's our, it's our quarterly pool party, which just is what a, one of our ways of saying it's Baptism Sunday. It's an opportunity for us to welcome those who have decided not just to follow Jesus, but to go public with that decision, because that's one of the most important decisions that they'll make. And so what we said is that if just one person signs up for baptisms, we'll fill this tub up. And today we have two, and it's two students today who have chosen, yeah, give it up. Who have chosen to give god the best years of their life right and so we'll have an opportunity later in the service to baptize both juliet and young young colin but there are we always suspect that maybe there's somebody who's getting baptized today that didn't know they were getting baptized today and we've almost always had people decide on the spot through the nudging of the holy spirit that today is today that not only they'll make a decision but they'll take that really important next step toward baptism. You say, man, I want to get baptized, but I didn't bring any clothes. We always bring extra clothes. And so on the other side of that door, right around the corner, is a table with some clean, somebody say clean. Clean extra clothes for those of you who might want to make that decision. Feel, feel, don't feel pressure. We won't pressure you. We won't try to coax you into the tub by some, giving you snacks or something. This, is, this is, must be a decision that you make. And so if you decide today that you're interested in baptism, we have uh, Brother Ramon. Ramon, would you wave your hand all the way over here? Brother Ramon will uh, have some questions for you and just uh, take you through that process and show you where to go. That is if you wish to be baptized today. Amen? Amen. Let me get into the word today. Uh, I I remember as a kid, I I couldn't wait to grow up, (laughs) right? My earliest memories of a kid, uh, I I remember just wanting to be a grown-up. Now, there's some people in the room who can attest to what I'm about to say next. That doesn't mean that I was a rebellious kid or that I got into trouble. I see, I see Elder Rick in here and I think I see Sister Dorothy in here. I grew, they grew up, with, they knew me as a kid and they can tell you that I wasn't, I wasn't a bad kid, right? But I, early on in my life I thought, I think my life would go smoother if I was in charge of it. I wasn't I didn't have those words at the time but I thought I couldn't wait to be grown plus my sisters who were older than me started getting jobs and they started making their own money and they started buying their own sneakers and clothes and it was much better than the sneakers and clothes that my parents would buy me. I thought, "Man, if I could just make some money, life would be set." And so my father finally let me get a job and I I got my first job at Dunkin Donuts in the Merchandise Mart downtown. You catch the bus and go down there. This is, he told me I had to wait to after I graduated high school. So I graduated high school, and I would travel merchandise more, and I said, listen, I'm set. My pockets are going to be full of money. My pockets weren't full of money. I got that first check, and I thought, there's a lot of money coming out. I, I didn't make nearly as much as I thought. So getting my own job was, was, was cool until it wasn't. It was exciting until I experienced it, and after a couple of weeks, it was just... Someplace I had to go real early in the morning. But I was also signed up to go to school and I thought, maybe when I'm on my own, I'm calling my own shots, I can get up when I want to, go to bed when I want to, maybe that'll be cool. And it was. When I went to school, it was cool until it wasn't. Because I had early classes and it wasn't that awesome. I thought this new freedom would like make me feel great and it really didn't I thought maybe if I you know look forward to building a career and having my own career that would be great and so in college I went to school for broadcasting and so I got a job working in television I would work my way up from a camera man a production assistant up to being a weekend direct director and even even that was it was a job it was cool at first but it didn't really satisfied in the deep ways that I thought it was satisfied, I thought maybe if I could just meet somebody, like meet somebody in like serious relationship, that would like straighten things out. And so I did meet somebody and it was cool (laughs) for about three weeks. I'm joking, but what I'm really trying to say, I'm, I'm just kidding, baby. As wonderful as she is, as amazing as she is, it still didn't satisfy in the ways that I thought that would satisfy and As we begin to have kids and all the things that I picture for my life, those things were wonderful. Couldn't imagine my life without them, but they still didn't They didn't satisfy in the way that I thought they would. And even doing something as noble as moving here and starting this church, which has been some of the most fun and the most adventurous thing we've ever done in our life, it still doesn't quite... You get where I'm going with this? And as I've surveyed this brief jog down memory lane of my own life, I came to re-know what I've known for a long time, and that is nothing on this earth can satisfy In that deep, lasting way. Does that ring true to you today? No earthly thing, no earthly pleasure, no opportunity or career or relationship. Nothing can satisfy in that deep and lasting way. And if you're human and you take some time to think about it, we're all faced with this notion that there is something missing in life that maybe there's more to life than lie between the bookends of our natural birth and our natural death. We have our students in here today. doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are, what you will soon discover is that nothing quite satisfies. And I love this quote by uh, the famed Christian writer C.S. Lewis. He says this, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world in other words if I find in myself desires and uh, uh, passions and longings that nothing in this world no person no place or no thing can satisfy I can safely conclude it's a reasonable conclusion that I was not made for here And it is the Christian's belief that there is more to life than this. And maybe you felt that. Or maybe you're here and you're kicking the tires of faith, peeking into windows just to see if there's something in there for you, and maybe you're beginning to come to grips with even the best things in life Just don't satisfy, follow along, or in that deep and satisfying way. There's something missing, there's got to be more. And so if you've been feeling that wrestling, you're in the right place because today I have the privilege of beginning a brand new teaching series that we're simply calling Explore. Explore. And in it, we'll seek to explore life, faith, and meaning. And we're basing this series on the world-famous Alpha Course. And some of you have heard about Alpha. Uh, alpha was started by a man na- by the name of Nicky Gumble in the UK, and Nicky Gumbel is a friend of the Vineyard, and this video-based Alpha course that was produced and distributed starting somewhere in the early 90s has gone around the world, and we have run our own Alpha courses, not the large-scale ones, but we've d- done the video-based ones in uh, small groups, and through its question-based approach, Alpha has really brought many people to Saving Faith by helping them wrestle with And answer some of life's biggest questions in a safe place, in a non-confrontational or condemning manner, Alpha has been very successful. And millions of people worldwide have tried Alpha, has been translated into like 112 different translations and many people have come to Christ as a result. And so in an effort to engage the Christian basics, not just for the new believer but for everybody... As well, we'll take uh, this eight-week jog through some of the Alpha material, not in a small group, but here on Sunday morning, in hopes of exploring together life, faith, and meaning. And today we'll begin with this big question, is there more to life than this? Is there more to life than this? Is there more to life than what lies between, you know, our earthly birth and our natural death. And the short answer is yes. And the longer answer is yes. (laughs) You like that? (laughs) Jesus has plenty to say. And one of the things he says about this can be found in John chapter 6, verse 35. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now that's a tall order. It's an interesting phrase. And Jesus um, uh, knows that his first century audience would have understood exactly how powerful a phrase this is. He's talking to uh, first century Jews in a culinary culture where bread was the staple or bread was deeply satisfying. No matter what you filled your plate with, You had to have some bread with you, right? And so I think to bring this into a sharper focus, this can best be framed by an Asian woman who once said she had two stomachs, one for all the other foods she ate, and one stomach for rice. (laughs) Of course, she doesn't mean she literally has two stomachs, but what she's basically describing is this culinary cultural affinity for rice, over all other foods. And what she was saying is no matter how much of the other food she ate, as delicious as the fruit was, as delicious as the meat was, as delicious as all the other foods she could grab a hold of, it wasn't until she had her fill of rice that she felt satisfied. And some of you can resonate, It maybe bread's not your thing, but we have a vast amount of cultures here. And So I sent some folks a text this week, and I asked a Ghanaian sister from Ghana, uh, what would Jesus say to you if he came and says, I am the blank of life for your culture? And Nunya, who's Ghanaian, said, Jesus would say to her, I am the fufu of life. <laughs> I talked to my friends from the Philippines And they say, Jesus might say, I'm the rice of life or I'm the Filipino noodles of life. That is to say, I haven't had my fill until, you know, I've had those Filipino noodles or some rice. I don't know if you ask a brother or two. They might say chicken or some kind of stereotypical thing. But Jesus would know exactly what to say to you. (laughs) You laugh because it's true. Jesus is basically saying, I am I am necessary in order that you might feel satisfied. Try as you might to feel satisfied as you consume all the snacks of life. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I'm the only thing that can satisfy both in this life and the next. And Jesus has more to say, and we'll explore another one of the important things that Jesus has to say for the rest of our time here. Would you meet me in John chapter 14 this morning real quick? as we discuss this important question, is there more to life than this? John chapter 14. I'm going to start at verse 1. There are Bibles, by the way, on the edges of your uh, seats. Feel free to use that Bible if you'd like to follow along. You can also follow along through your mobile devices. We'll also project it on the screens today. John chapter 14. When you find it, let me pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for only you satisfy. And some of us have found that out the hard way. Some of us, slightly easier way. And some of us are coming to figure that out in this moment. We thank you, Lord, for your spirit that draws us into conversations like this. That gives us what we need to hear rather than what we want to hear. And may we wrestle your words to the ground as we try to discover how to dispatch them in our life. Father, we ask that you would put power on these words that you've given me to speak this morning. Will you let your truth and light shine through? Move the preacher out of the way so that I'm not a distraction. Come, Holy Spirit, and do what only you can do. We ask these things in the matchless and mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said. Amen. John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says these words. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me here where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas says. We have no idea where you're going. I love this. So how can we know the way? Verse 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life No one can come to the Father except through me. That's the money verse for today. I read it again. Jesus told him, and therefore us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I think this is a perfect text for the subject. And Jesus is engaging with his disciples. And I just like to think whenever Jesus is engaging directly with his disciples that he is engaging with me. And when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he's talking to us because we are the disciples of the disciples of the disciples. disciples. And before we look at them and get annoyed with them or think, man, these guys aren't that smart. or man, these guys don't have much faith. I need to remember that Jesus is talking to me and we, in essence, are them, right? And so Jesus is saying these words at the early part of verse 14, and if you look back in chapter 13, you know that Jesus said some words to them that probably got them stirred up a little bit. No doubt they were a little anxious and confused, maybe afraid, because it's in John chapter 13 that Jesus tells them uh, another time that he is going to be going away. And if you understand the trajectory of Jesus' life, he is the Word made flesh, the incarnate deity. He's come to earth to minister, to live, to make disciples, but he's ultimately come to die a sinner's death, to pay for the price for our sins so that people past, present, and future can receive the gift of eternal life and have their deepest need met and that is their sins forgiven. And so Jesus is telling them over and over that he's not long for this earth, that there's coming a time where he will go away. And every time he tells these disciples, it's like they're hearing it for the first time. They get confused. They get angry. They get anxious. And so these words that we read here in verse 14 are designed to comfort them after Jesus has just dropped the bomb on them. So I'm giving you uh, some context here, right? And so Jesus offers comfort plus for their heaviness and dis ease. And Jesus points to himself. As the answer to the question that we just posed this morning, is there more to life than this? Is there something more that I should be after? Is there something more that is necessary for my life to be complete, for me to fulfill my purpose, to do what I'm here to do? And the answer is a resounding yes. And Jesus presents himself as all they need. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I am the life. Now, this is the ultimate flex, is it not? Jesus is saying, I'm it. I'm that primary thing. I'm all you need. This is an anchoring reality. And if you can get this, you'll get much of the answers to life. These are the cheat codes. And I want to point out our students in this room because many of us came to faith well into our years after squandering loads and loads of time, loads and loads of our reputation. We gave our best years to someone. Else, and you are in a unique position that you can give God your best years. On the front end, you can discover and uncover that the more that there is to life is not social media, it's not friends, it's not cash, it's not clout, it is Jesus. This is a major statement. Jesus says, I'm it. Now, you can probably read the exclusiveness of a comment like that, and that's what gets Christianity in trouble, right? No, have, nobody has a problem with you saying, I am a way," or I'm one option in the parlor of options, especially when it comes to something as concrete and as consequential as eternal life. Nobody minds you saying, I'm one of the options. But when you show up saying you are the option, you better get ready for a fight. You you, you better get ready to get canceled. You got to get ready to be called the bigot or intolerant because this is what Jesus says. In a world that says pick whatever works for you, Jesus says, I'm all there is, full stop. A little awkward right and so you can choose to do one of two things with a text like this particularly with verse six you can see it as jesus using three short phrases to say the same thing and that possibly would be true or you can walk with me today as i tease out really quickly these three standalone phrases the way the truth and the life I'm just going to spend the rest of my time doing today first jesus says i am the way not a way but that way, and any serious follower of Jesus, or anybody who is even remotely interested in the reality of the Christian faith has to do business with these four words. Sorry, five words, four words. I am the way, <laughs> not a math major. What Jesus is talking about is he is the source of direction meaning and purpose in life. In all of our lives in general, but especially in our individual lives as we try to figure out why am I here? What should I be using my life for? What meaning is there to my specific life? Jesus says, I am the way to find purpose, meaning, and direction. Pastor Rick Warren put it this way, you were made by God and for God, And until you figure that out, life won't make sense. You could try to force it to make sense, but Brother Rick is on to something here. You were made by God and for God, and until you figure that out, until you dispatch that reality into how you plan your life, it simply won't make sense. Um, Zion is uh, the custodian on staff, He's in his early 20s, and every now and then as he's taking care of the building, he'll stumble into my office to, uh, to change the trash or the vacuum or something like that, and we'll strike up a conversation. And last week, he, he popped in, and I said, Zion, you, you know, I, I, you're always on the phone. I thought people your age didn't, didn't like t- taking phone calls. I thought it was like, he's like, no, I like the phone, and, and we, it, it, it launched us into this exchange where we compared sort of our generations, right? I grew up at a time where people had like a landline in their house. Anybody remember this? And you had to be a serious baller to have a car phone or a cell phone. I knew people who had cell phones that weren't activated, they would just have them just as a status symbol. You laugh because it's true. Zion was born in the 2000s, and I was explaining to him that I'm what they call an ex because I had an analog childhood in a digital adult life. I was a freshman in college before we had high-speed internet, at least it felt high-speed to me. And so I was explaining to him that when we had to write a paper, like, we actually had to use an encyclopedia, right? And that our mother had a landline on the phone with a long cord that she would go throughout the kitchen and cook, and she stayed on the phone. And it it was like I was explaining dinosaurs to him it was in that moment that I felt like a really old man, and I don't typically feel like an old man. But some of you understand this, but I remember, I'm I'm old enough to remember when you had the old TVs that you had to turn the channel sort of manually. Anybody remember this? I'm watching the students, and they're like, "What what is this artifact? What is this prehistoric thing they dug out of the dirt? When you had to turn the channel manually, And if you wanted a good picture, you might have to stand maybe on the third floorboard. Which floorboard did you stand? Maybe you send your sister over in the corner. Hey, hold your arm up just right in order to get a good picture. Or or you could plug in the antenna, right? And if you had a working antenna, (laughs) look, some of you, this is your first time seeing this ever. It is like, I'm unsettled right now. If you had an antenna and you plug it into that TV and you get, the, you get the, what do they call them, bunny ears, you get the bunny ears just right, that picture would come in real clean, wouldn't it? And so I believe that when Jesus says, I am the way, he is in essence saying, I, I, I am the antenna for your fuzzy television, that your television will be real fuzzy and, and maybe you can make out just maybe, is that, was that Andy Griffin? Who is that? When you plug that antenna, it, it, it draws into sharper focus and maybe Jesus is saying, I, I am the antenna that will help your life make sense, that will help you find meaning and direction and purpose. And so what, what that would be today, I don't, I don't know. Maybe you plug in the fire stick or maybe you turn on the Wi-Fi or whatever, but I think you get the idea. And the older I've gotten, the more acquainted I am with this the necessity of finding a way to my life. And some of you are here, you're in your 30s, or you're in your 40s, or you're in your 50s, and 60s, and 70s, and and you realize how much time was wasted trying to find yourself, and trying to figure life out. And how many people you gave yourself to that didn't deserve you because you didn't have a way. You didn't have the antenna in. thank God that he's redemptive and he can turn that thing around but but you don't have to stumble through life right Jesus says I'm giving you the answer I'm giving you the key I am the way Jesus also says I am the truth not a truth but I am the truth. A world of relativism that says, believe what you want to believe. Ascribe to what you want to subscribe to. There are no absolute truths, which is laughable because that in itself is an absolute truth claim, right? A world of myriad options. Jesus says, I am the truth. And again, any serious follower of Jesus or anybody who's interested in faith needs to take these words very seriously because our culture can disciple us toward a. Look, I, who am I to say? You hey, do what works for you. I, I guess that's okay. God, God loves us all. Sure, He'd allow us to just walk right over a cliff to our death. Our, our culture can disciple us toward that way. As you watch people getting in trouble for taking a stand for Christ, I'm not talking about the crazies, right? I'm not talking about the mean-spirited folks who should just take Christian off of their title. I'm talking to folks who just said, ah, I don't think that's right. I don't think we should be doing that. There's a more excellent way. You can get in real trouble and so our culture can disciple us away from this notion that there is a truth that there is one measuring stick for what is true and what is right and what is good, Jesus says, I am the truth, final answer. I remember when I was a student at the University of Illinois, my freshman year, I took an English literature class and I really liked this class. I thought the stories were interesting, but there's one thing I didn't like about the class. We'd read the material and we'd come to the class the next day and the teacher would, You know, maybe she'd have us read the story out loud, but then she'd just sort of go around the room. What do you think the author means here when he says this? And of course, that's during that period of time where I knew everything. And so I would shoot my hand up and I would say, well, this is what I think the author means. And I would give this long, really thoughtful, really correct answer. And the teacher would go, brilliant. That's, yeah, oh, that's so good. So good. And as I would wait for us to move on to something else, because I already, I already told the class what the author meant, she would say, who else? <laughs> Imagine me, I know it all at the ripe age of 18. I'm like, I just told you what the answer is. Let's go to something else. Let's use our time. And, and, and we would go around the room, and people would say literally nine different things. And you know what that teacher would say? Brilliant. <laughs> oh, that's just very insightful. And I'm, I'm bothered by this, partly because I thought I gave the right answers, but the other part that bothered me is, I mean, that author meant something when he wrote that. And if my answer is right, isn't right, would you at least tell, like, tell us what the answer is? There was something really unsettling about leaving that class with everybody hearing the same thing, brilliant, that's great, oh, wonderful. Now, as I just proved to you, I'm not a math guy. Never really got math, and my kids are bringing home math homework that is like humbling me. But I have have respect for math, because there's an answer, right? Math teacher don't do that. What's two plus two, Johnny? Four. Brilliant. Anybody else? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the math is consequential. When you talk about building bridges, right? And shooting things into space, you need some precision? You need an answer, right? And so when we're talking about consequential matters like life and death, where you will spend eternity, whether or not your life aligns with the plans that the architect of your life had in mind when he created you, like, that's a, that's a really precise reality. Because if you don't get that right, as you chart the trajectory and course of your life, you'll experience a drift. Drift. And if you're moving in a certain direction, those who chart space travel, and those who are uh, involved in aviation know that a little drift, you might not notice it at the beginning. A few degrees, a few decimal places, but as you get along with the thing, a little miscalculation is devastating, is it not? And that's a really long way to say that this whole notion that I am the truth, I am the answer, is really really meaningful. In a world that spin in misdirection, fake news and deep state conspiracies enough to make your head spin. Jesus says I'm the truth. And if all of that doesn't have your head spinning just watch our finest politicians of either party debate each other and fight for that first seat in the White House, if your head isn't spinning then it'll certainly be spinning after you watch a few debates, and that doesn't cause your head to spin, just watch the news. Pick one, CNN, Fox, your favorite anchor, your favorite outlet, and your head will be spinning after that, and what it might produce and induce is some kind of desire to know what's right and what's not. What's good and what's not, what's true and what's false. When it comes to our ethics, when it comes to our politics, when it comes to the sanctity of life and the preciousness of the unborn, who's right? When we're trying to decide consequential matters like what is a good and proper sexual ethic, We need to know who's right. When we deal with weighty matters like racism and white supremacy and injustice, we need to know who is right. And especially when it comes to matters concerning spirituality and eternal life, there can't be many answers. And Jesus says, I'm the truth. Somebody's lying. (laughs) Somebody's, if we're thinking charitably, somebody's mistaken. And what Jesus does in this cosmic moment, he says, it ain't me. Right? I'm the truth. Third one here is Jesus says, I am the life. And this is my favorite. I'm the life. Jesus says, I'm not an option life but I am the life you hear the exclusiveness there and at the risk of sounding like a broken record I'll see it again any serious follow Jesus or anybody even remotely interested in the spiritual life the Christian life must do serious business with what Jesus says here I'm the way I'm the truth I am the life cannot deal with this casually See, as Lewis writes, Christianity, if false is of no importance and if true of infinite importance, the only thing it cannot be is moderately important. The stakes are too high. It's too consequential. I am the life. What is Jesus talking about here? I think he's talking about what we wrap up in a word, salvation, right? Right? Christian life points us to salvation. The message of the kingdom is what? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Confess your sin and believe. Confess the things that you've done and left undone. Turn in your way, which is faulty and broken. Turn in your best thinking, which my father would say has got him in the worst places. Your best thinking. I'm looking at you. You don't know who I'm looking at, but I'm looking at you. Your best thinking. Your highest mindedness, your best strategizing has got you in some of the worst messes of your life. And Jesus says, turn that and repent. Turn from your way and turn toward mine. Now, some of us aren't living crazy like lives, right? And some of you, your okayness... It's going to be the noose around your neck. He said, I don't drink, smoke, or chew. I don't run with those who do. I must be all right. She said, no, no, no. You turn that into Because where you're headed is a dead end. And yet there are others of us who are, if you were to survey the actions and the decisions of your life, like you're into some heavy stuff. Stuff that you don't want to talk about in mixed company. And Jesus moves toward you and says, yes, you need to turn yours in too. You need to confess that. You need to repent, turn from it, and believe upon me. This is the essence of the gospel. Because if you don't do that, then you're on some pointless road to nowhere with your salvation up to you. A pointless road to nowhere, with your salvation up to you, that should run a chill down your spine. A dead end. And what Jesus knows as he talks to his disciples about him going away, what he doesn't say explicitly here is that I'm going to a bloody cross. I'm a sinless man. I'm the incarnate deity, but I'm going to a bloody cross because that's the only way that God has decided fit enough to atone for the dirtiness and the filthiness of the sins of humanity. He's laid that all upon me. In just a few moments, I'm going to die a terrible death for you and for you and for me and for everybody else so that what? You might experience what? The way, the truth, and the life, that through Christ, this is the only means that we have to the Father and therefore the eternal life. So the ending sentence that Jesus puts at the end of verse 6 is super important. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, I am the bridge, the only bridge, the only means by which you can get to God and have your sins forgiven and have your life made right. And have the clarity of vision and the clarity of decision making that one needs to choose well and stay on the right course for life. Jesus says, I am that way. I am that truth. I am that life. And I'm presented to you because God loved the world so much that He gave His Son so that anybody who believes will not perish but have eternal life. Paul says that while we were still sinners, while we were still a mess, we were still a mess. Christ what? Died for us to atone for our sins and so that he might be the bridge that connects us to God. That he might cover the chasm that lay between God and us with his life, his death, and more importantly, his resurrection. This, friends, is the good news of the gospel for anybody who believes that's what this tub is all about. That's what those who've come To the waters of baptism, that's what they've chosen and that's what they are connecting with, identifying with. When they go down in that water, that watery grave, they die to themselves and they're raised to new life in Christ. This is symbolic of what's already happened on the inside of them. Worship team, you can make your way up as well. I land the plane. And some of you are here today and it's news to you that there's more to life than this. Or maybe you came in and you, you heard it like you know it, but you, could, you can know something and not know it, right? And maybe today the Spirit is working within you to cement for you and bring you to a place of decision. Because your life is on a course that's got you on a hopeless road to nowhere. Whether that's evident in the pronounced bad decision making and things that you're doing or you're just breathing to death as a good suburbanite. The message is the same. Repent and believe because Jesus says, I'm the only way. I'm the only truth. I'm the only life. Came in a mess but you don't have to leave a mess. Came in the driver's seat of your own life but you don't have to leave that way. Came in confused about what God expects from you. Well, there's a whole lot more, but this is like the first thing, right? Came in lukewarm, drifting, in and out, in and out, hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, and the Lord is just saying, hey, can I have your whole heart today? It's not deeper than that. Is there more to life? You bet. Is Jesus that way, that truth, that life? No question. And I'll say it a fourth time as I land this thing, any serious follower of Jesus has to do business with that. Right? And anybody who's interested in the Christian faith, the real version of it, has to wrestle with that as well.